Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. so thankful for your presence. Uh, we, we don't do church without you. It's why we're here. You're why we're here. As we gather and we've uh, worshiped you and praised and song, I pray now that as we dive into your word that you would make yourself known to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When was the last time that you heard a sermon on food? What about a, a whole series? Yeah, me neither. So that's what we're doing. All right, At the Table, this is the first week we're kicking off a four-week series called At the Table, and we're going to be looking at food. Now, this is crazy, and we'll get into why this is, how this has unfolded and been really crazy, but the truth is, over the next couple of months, many of us are going to eat more than usual, right? This, actually, this past week was Addie Lee's birthday, and that kicks off the holiday season for our family, okay? Addie Lee's birthday, where there's consuming sugar and cake and all that fun stuff, falls, uh, goes right into Halloween with all the candy, and then the, when the girls fall asleep and I eat their candy and they don't know it, okay? And then from there, you get into uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and uh, the, all of the events. There's parties that we go to. There's other functions. There's gathering with family. All of these experiences that involve food, and we eat more food in this time of year than any other point in the year. And all those eating experiences, it's so interesting how they actually take in the whole human experience. Think about the meals that you've shared, especially over the holiday season, where you experience the joy and fellowship around a meal, but also the awkwardness and the conflict that happens around the meal. I know some of us in here have had an awkward meal, okay, where you've sat across trying to make conversation, maybe it didn't work out, or when uh, Uncle Smith decides to bring up religion and politics and people can't get along. Okay, I know there are times where the meal involves awkwardness or conflict. Around the meal and feasting, we see this hope and longing. There's loneliness and sorrow. There's fullness and regret. The truth is, when it comes to these meals that we share, we get to experience the whole gamut of human emotions and experiences. And the truth is we all eat. Most of us eat multiple meals a day. And I can't speak for you, 
but a large portion of my day that is not spent eating is spent thinking about eating. Okay, just me, right? I literally, I wake up in the morning and some of my first thoughts are, okay, what is everybody eating for lunch today? I have to check Eddie Lee's lunch schedule to figure out if it's chicken or spaghetti or pizza or if it's some kind of weird thing she doesn't like, okay? And then I have to figure out if I'm fixing her a sandwich or lunch. Avery has to have her lunch fixed a couple times a week. Lauren gets her lunch fixed in the morning. If I'm going to be working through lunch, I get my And so I'm thinking about lunch. Then I get to work and I'm thinking, okay, I've got three hours until my lunch break or I've got this so long until my lunch break, right? Looking forward to that break. I get that break and I eat my lunch. I get back to work and I start, okay, I got three hours until this day is over. What are we going to eat for dinner? (laughs) I start texting Lauren, hey, what's for dinner, right? I'm thinking about food. I get home, cook dinner, we eat dinner, or we go out to eat, depending on what was decided after lunch, okay? And then you're thinking, okay, now it's time to wind down the day and I need a treat, okay? Where's my Swiss roll? (laughs) Where, where's my, my, uh, Oatmeal cream pie, all right? That, that, so my day is spent, Sundays, Sundays after church, we get ready most of the time. We want to do our grocery shopping. We sit down, start making a list. The whole list revolves around what dinners we want to eat, what snacks are going to be needed. It's all about the food. Yes, we do need toilet paper. More importantly, what food are we going to eat? Like so much of our life and our day is saturated with food. Our lives revolve around it. But do you ever think about the role that food has played in your life? Because there are significant moments throughout each of our lives that happen around a meal. I'm not going to share this story because I've used it as an illustration so many times, okay? But my, I really believe that my marriage was saved over an anniversary dinner. I can look back and I can remember telling my family that we were pregnant with Addie Lee over a meal, and my dad's screaming in a Mexican restaurant, enjoy. I can remember sitting down after church one Sunday, having prayer with family, and in that prayer, thanking uh, thanking God for Addie Lee's sibling, and saying amen, and everybody looking around saying, what, was that real? Explaining that we were pregnant again over a meal. Lauren and I are here in Georgia, and Revive is a church because of a calling we discovered on our lives while cooking dinner. And I've lived long enough now that I've lost people, close family and friends. And it's so interesting, whether it's planned or not, there's a point in all of the events that are happening around losing someone, whether it's before or after the funeral, whatever, there's a point where somehow, either on purpose or by accident, Everybody gathers in one place for a meal. And man, I can remember the tears that are shed over that meal, but I also remember the laughter that was happening around that meal. In the midst of heartache and anger, the joy and the healing that happened because we were gathered around food. Food plays a major role in our lives, but it's not just our lives, it's also scripture. This blew my mind when I began to dive into it. The Bible is full of food. From beginning to end, the Bible is full of food. Rory Shiner is the first person I read to bring this out, but he said that the first words of God to humans are an invitation to eat. 
the first conflict in all of creation is over a forbidden meal. Jesus' first miracle came during a catering crisis at a wedding feast. His, his first recorded temptation was food after a season of fasting. The last act of Jesus before he dies is a feast with his disciples that is chocked full of meaning. And in Revelation 19, the final vision of the new world when Jesus returns is that of a massive, joyful banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. From beginning to end, the Bible is full of food. And with Jesus, its main character, there's no other person that is so surrounded by food. Read the whole book of Luke. In fact, I saw this on uh, one of the socials this past week. You can start December 1st reading a chapter of Luke a day, and you finish in chapter 24, 25 on Christmas Day. So you get the whole, you can read it. In the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to at or leaving some kind of dinner feast. His, his whole ministry is around the table. Food is vital to our lives and it's vital to the whole story of scripture. And today's message is very much an overview looking at the broad picture of food and we'll dive in throughout this series to more nuanced details around it. But here's the deal, and this may sound strange to say out loud, but whether you view it this way or not, it is true. Food is worship. Food is worship. Here's what I mean. When we look at Genesis 1.29, it says that God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have for food. And out of the ground, this is in uh, Genesis 2, 9, another telling of the creation story. It says, out of the ground, the Lord made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. God repeats this promise to Noah after the flood. And there he adds the consumption of meat to it. So whenever somebody tells you you have to be a vegetarian, tell them to read Genesis 9. Okay, so there's this sense that Food is a part of the blessing. It's a part of the promise of God. Now, what's interesting is we see that food is present pre-fall. So before sin has ever entered the picture, before Adam gets the curse where it says that he will grow weary by his toil of the land, before that ever happens, food is present. Right now, we think of food so often as fuel, But we see that before our bodies began to fade, before sin had its effect on our bodies, when we didn't need something to sustain us because we were sustained on the presence of God himself, food was still present in the garden. So there's a purpose for food beyond fuel. For us, the basic point of food is to sustain us. But we didn't need that pre-fall. So there's this picture that food is both now to sustain us but also for, here's a church word that you never hear in church. You ready? Our pleasure. God is for our pleasure. 
The church doesn't talk about that enough, <laughs> all right? But that's what, there are things in the Bible that have multiple purposes, okay? One of, like prayer, okay? Now, I've got, this is not a, a sermon on prayer, so I'm not gonna give you my long list, but I got proof and I've got scripture to support that when we pray, we move the heart of God and we cause him to act. Now, I know that sounds heretical, but it's true. When we pray, God moves. Jesus says that this demon can only be cast out through prayer and fasting, okay? Yeah. There are times where our prayers can cause God to move or he's waiting for us to pray then he moves so prayer yes stirs the heart of God but prayer also changes us when we commune and we pray with God it's not just about getting God to move but it's about our hearts changing and becoming like his prayer has two purposes when we look at food it yes it is just like that it's for sustaining us but it's also for our pleasure Here's what I mean. I've talked about this before, maybe in a sermon, maybe one-on-one, because this was the best meal I've ever had in my life, okay? At least one of them. So bear with me if you've heard this, okay? It's our anniversary. I think it was anniversary two. When did we go to Savannah? Come on. Three. All right. I was close. I'm going to be in trouble later. All right. Anniversary three. Before, before kids are in the picture, we're in Savannah. We go to the pink house for our uh, anniversary dinner. So I want you to picture it. We walk into this dimly lit restaurant. The only light is the natural light pouring in through these big windows. It's absolutely beautiful. The tables, the chairs, the artwork on the wall. We get to sit down next to the fireplace. I mean, it was beautiful. That we sit down at this table that's beautifully set with, with gleaming silverware and crisp white napkins folding, just waiting for us to partake in this meal. The, the waiter walks over and presents us with these specials. He starts talking about this lobster bisque soup and like automatically, like that's my favorite. So I'm like, this is happening. Then he goes in and starts talking about this fish dish with some words I don't understand and I'm not gonna be able to repeat, but he made it sound good. And so I was like, yes, both please. I'll take both. I want the lobster bisque and I want this this fish thing that you're talking about, right? And so then Lauren and I were sitting there and we're talking about, we're, we're anticipating the future of our relationship and, and we're talking about the past and our marriage and all those fun things. And we begin to anticipate the, the food that's gonna be coming out. We're enjoying the beautiful setting. And then we kind of see the waiter begin to walk over. He sits the, the bisque down in front of me and there the aroma immediately hits you and your mouth is like already watering, anticipating the flavor that's there. He has some kind of special sauce. I don't remember what this sauce is called. It kind of looks weird in this green color and he, he dabs it. He dabs this little drizzle there in front of me and then he breaks out the the pepper cracker shaker thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? And you can hear the the peppercorns grind in the jaws of this thing. And he puts this pepper on top of this soup. And I mean, I'm like salivating. It's just me. I know I'm there with my wife, but it is me and this soup, okay? I'm waiting for it. He leaves. We do the proper thing and pray, okay? Because the Lord is about to bless us and we know it. I lean in for the first taste of this soup, and man, it's like creamy and rich. You get that buttery seafood flavor. It's got the the chunks of lobster scattered throughout it, and it is an explosion of flavor on my taste buds, okay? It is this amazing moment, and that is the first course. You forgot about the fish dish. All right, so he comes, we finish the soup. It didn't take long, okay? They take the soup away. 
he brings out and he lays this plate in front of me. And at first I'm a little bit taken aback because it's the whole fish, all right? From tail to teeth. Now the fish didn't have teeth, but I like that phrase, okay? It was the whole fish, the whole thing in front of me. Now the body of it had been scored and cut in these little cubes. It had been pan flash fried, I think is what he called it. All right, it's fork tender. So you don't even need a knife. You just take the fork and you get this little cube and you take it and you eat it. The first thing you notice is not even the flavor, all right? It's the texture because I've already been looking at it with my eyes, all right? I'm looking at this fish and there's pops of orange and red from the sauce that is on it with the dark green of the, the herbs that have been scattered. And I'm like, I'm just waiting. I take the bite and there's the soft, smooth, buttery meat of the fish. But then right there with it is the crunchiness of the, the pan fried skin. And I mean, it was like, whoa. And that was the, the experience of the, the texture, not even the taste. Then you get to the taste and there's these hints of like orange and citrus and, and the spice that's from the sauce that's on top of it. And it's like sweet and savory at the same time. And I'm telling you to the glory of God, it was the best meal. Every bite, it's like you're melting into the chair. I, fantastic. Now, when we're talking about food... I hope you get the picture here. There's another baby that's ready for his food. No, there, I hope you get the picture. Food is not just fuel. Food is not just fuel. It is meant for our pleasure. You can't look back at your past meal experience and tell me the greatest meal you've ever had. You know, it doesn't even have to be the greatest meal you've ever had. That Twinkie at the end of the day, that is a treat for you. You can't tell me that that was about fuel, all right? I know that you ate that meal or you ate that Swiss roll because of the pleasure that it brought to you. Food has this type of experience. Here's the point. Food has this type of experience because it was meant to drive us into worship, It was meant for us to taste and to see that God is good. That was why it was created. You can look at scripture and it's it's awesome how you see how humanity begins to take what was in the garden, all right? The plants and the food that is around them and they develop cuisine. You can read in Genesis where, where God gives instruction to take the wheat and separate it and smash it and bake it in olive oil. It's the first recipe. Like humans were cement to go into the garden, take this thing that God had given them and cultivate it and use it to make delicious food. And pre-fall, that food was to bring us pleasure. The other part didn't even matter, but now it's both. Now we eat because it gives us sustenance, but we also eat because it brings us and causes us to find joy in the Lord. The food we consume is meant to draw us in to the worship of the triune God who created it. The creator and the sustainer of life, he is what provides that food. Do you like food? <laughs> is it just me? Okay. Or if you are a fan of food, it's because God created it that way. And our consumption of food should be to worship him. I want to say Psalm 34. I'll probably say it a hundred times. 34a, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we're supposed to consume food and worship God. But unfortunately, that's not how it's happened, is it? Instead, we've moved from food as worship to the worship of 
food. Instead of consuming food, we give in to our appetites and we allow food to consume us. You continue reading in the story, you see Genesis 3 verses 1 through 7, that the serpent slithers its way onto the scene. It's hanging down from the tree and begins to call out to Eve, Eve. I don't know if that's how it happened, okay? It begins to draw Eve in, right? It's like, Eve, look at this fruit. Did God not say that you could eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of this tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw this, and she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was to be, good, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and so also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And their eyes were opened, and they, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make loincloths for themselves. The very moment sin enters the picture, food was involved. Adam and Eve had everything they needed in the garden, but there was one thing they didn't have, total and complete control. Their life was perfect under the rule of God. They had all the joys and pleasures of creation without the corruption of sin. But the sin for them, and I think if we're honest, the sin for us today, the temptation for us today, is to abandon the rule of God in an effort to rule ourselves. We believe that we know what will make us happy more than what our creator created in us to make us happy. We think we know better. So just like Eve, we reach out for that forbidden fruit in an effort to just, if I could just justify this one sin, I could spend some lives and justify this sin because if I could reach out and get that one sin, then I will finally be happy and we can just overlook that and we'll be good. Or maybe if I can just justify these lies so that I can cut this corner, because if I can cut this corner, I can reach that goal faster. And by by achieving that goal, I will finally be happy. Or we fly off the handle and lose control and say things we later regret because someone robbed us of what we thought would make us happy. If you trace the sins you battle back to the center of your universe, my guess is the person at the center of your universe is not the creator of the universe but the person at the center is actually you. What happened is we took of that fruit, we abused the food. Now, I wanna take a step back. I know that not everyone's vice is food, okay? It's mine, but yours might not be food. What I hope you see is the stand in here. The thing that you grab because you think it'll bring you the most pleasure or the most happiness, the thing that you struggle with, That is the stand-in for food. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, yeah, it may not be food. Maybe it's porn or pills or popularity. Whatever it is, we all have something that we've grasped at as that forbidden fruit. The way we see food play out in our society, especially here in America and our culture, it's pretty evident. 
food, just like Adam and Eve reaching, trying to get that wisdom, trying to get that control for themselves is a means of control for us. I had a tough day. I can have some peace and happiness if I just get this Twinkie. I deserve it. If I can get dinner my way and my time, then I'll be happy. I deserve it. I enjoy the taste and experience of eating so much that I pursue the pleasure by eating enough food to feed a family of four by myself because it feels good. It's not just overeating. Many of us latch on to whatever the new fad diet is in an effort to control our lives. We become obsessed with the way we look so that we rob food of its pleasure purpose and turn it into just fuel. 28.8 million Americans will suffer from an eating disorder in their lifetime. This is second only to the opioid overdose when it comes to deaths directly tied to mental illness. Eating disorders is second only to the opioid crisis. One death every 52 minutes leads to over 10,000 deaths a year as a direct result of eating disorders. Due to sin, our relationship with food has been damaged. What was meant to be a point of worship has become a point of pain. And here's the hard truth. It's not the food's fault. There's a moment in the book of Mark you can read, and uh, Peter is on a roof and he has an encounter with God. And God shows him all this food that's common, clean and unclean, and tells Peter he can eat it. And Peter's like, Lord, I've never, not me. Are you kidding me? I'm a good Jew. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And God declares that it's not the food that defiles us. Food is not, yes, food, there are healthy foods and there are unhealthy foods. That's true. But food is not morally good or bad. The thing that has defiled us is sin. So, so listen, you cannot sin by food, but you can sin with food. This means that the food you consume can be, that, can, can be the means by which you sin, but it's not the food itself that is sinful. The food isn't broken. You and I are broken. And it's our sin that drives us to or from the plate, depending on how you suffer with food. It's the sin that drives us to the plate instead of driving us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the real shame because in all of this, it is Jesus who is our redeemer. Jesus is able to save our souls, but not just our souls. He's also the savior of our bodies. We know in the end, heaven is not some lofty land that we go to up in the clouds. But in the end, there will be a new heaven and a new earth right here, a new garden where all the saints that have gone before us will be resurrected like Jesus and everyone We'll have new redeemed taste, taste buds where we will sit down with a meal with our creator God without sin being have corrupted any of that. Can you imagine if the pink house was good? Imagine how good that meal is going to be. And that, that is only because of Jesus Christ. 
He is our redemption. After the fall, we see that our relationship with food has been damaged. It's a part of the curse that Adam receives in Genesis 3. After the flood, we see that Noah plants the vineyard and gets drunk. There comes this point where sin causes us to change the way we deal with food. And we begin to see people starve and famine. People begin to abuse power and overconsume. And it's all in search of satisfaction and joy. And it's all in vain because it's searching in food what should be found in Christ. And then enters Jesus. He redeems wine by multiplying it at a feast. We see in John where he says, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The reason we abuse food or any other good pleasure for that matter is because we are searching and longing for something that only Jesus can provide. Isaiah 55 one through two, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people. He says this, come everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy God's people are seeking fake pleasures through fake food. And Isaiah is like, what are you doing? I used to work at Starbucks. A lot of you know that. Starbucks has a pastry case. A lot of you know that. Inside that pastry things, <laughs> there's delicious items like the iced lemon pound cake. All right. And every year the snowman cookie comes out, right? And I love the snowman cookie. There's uh, chocolate chip muffins. You can see the, the different cheese danishes and, and wraps, and they're all displayed there in that case so that while you're waiting in that long line, because nobody's at work, sorry, when you're waiting in that long line, you're looking at that pastry case, and you're like, man, you know what? I do need my coffee, but I'm also going to get this, right? And what happens is a lot of people don't realize that that food in the pastry case has been there for at least days, probably weeks, okay? I used to work there. You, you, Monday, you were supposed to set out the food and all, all the food in there was just gonna stay in there all week. Everything else was behind the counter in bags that you would wrap, open up and put in the oven or put in a bag, okay? And the food in the case was supposed to replace weekly. Let's be honest, doesn't happen, okay? Sometimes that food has been in there for months. So hard that when you go to throw it away, like it hits the bottom of the trash can with a thud and doesn't chip or crack or break or anything, okay? Like they turn into bricks. So picture this. We've got months old food in the pastry case. This lady walks in. She wants an ice lemon pound cake, all right? And we're like, sorry, we are out of the ice lemon pound cake. Yes, we've got some frozen in the back, but it's frozen. So we are out of the ice lemon pound cake. She loses it. I can see it right there. I'll just give me that one. And we're like, man, we can't. <laughs> like it's who knows how old, right? Maybe months, okay? We can't. And she is flying off the handle, very angry because we're telling her we're out of food, but she can see the food right there in front of her. Listen, that is our story. We are kicking and screaming for fake food. When the truth is we should be satisfied in Jesus Christ. 
There's fake self-food that is tempting us. But the way that we are to be satisfied is in the one person who is the way, who is the truth, and is the life. And that is Jesus Christ. He is the one that redeems our relationship with food. He died on the cross to make us holy. He died on the cross so that we can now have a redeemed relationship with food. And it changes the way we live. But that only happens through the power of the Spirit. 1 Timothy 1.6 says this, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is Galatians. When you see the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I have been on a journey of holiness, if you've been in our life group, you know, for probably about a year. And one of the things I've learned is it's not us trying harder that makes us holy, but it's the spirit in us that gives us the ability to live out this power of self-control. Any act of holiness that we commit is nothing to do on our part. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is a transforming power that makes us holy. And it is by his spirit that we are given the power to live holy. Now, time to get the elephant out of the bag, all right? To mix metaphors. I know this is crazy to hear from a pastor who very evidently does not and has not had a good relationship with food. This is actually really hard for me to teach because I know that food has been a master of mine for a long time. About a year ago, I started this journey of holiness. And about two months ago, I'm reading a book I'm going to get emotional. I'm reading a book that has nothing to do with food. It's about other things that's going on in our culture. And in passing, the author mentions, it's literally one sentence at the end of a paragraph. It says that gluttony is the one sin that America is okay with. Dude, I had to put the book down. I began to weep because I realized that's where I was. Like, yes, there's plenty of things in my life that I've been working on, but Food had control over me. And I'm on this journey of learning that it's not me having willpower over food, but it's the Holy Spirit in me, allowing me to find my joy and my satisfaction and my pleasure in the creator God and not in my food. Now, I can say that this is easier to preach because I have lost 18 pounds, okay? I'm on this journey. I've added rhythms in my life to try to make this a practice, but the truth is, I've lost weight before, and then I've gained it back. So this isn't really about the number on the scale and losing weight. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit has changed something in me. And whether your advice is food or something else, you can have Holy Spirit-empowered self-control. That's how it works. It's not you mastering it on your own. This table, this At the Table series on food was planned over a year ago. And I had no idea where I would be at spiritually at this point when planning this thing. I got down and I actually forgot that this was coming up. All right? I got down and I started the Retold series, which we just finished. And when I start a new series, I kind of look at what's coming up next so I can remind myself. And I was, I was broken. Like I couldn't believe it because here I have been on my own for two months just searching and understanding food and how all of that works in the Bible. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be preaching on that. The Lord began to stir something in me before this series ever happened. 
And the truth is, it's still a journey for me. (laughs) So I preach this series with humility, knowing that God is still working on me. And I uh, appreciate you guys with your grace as you listen to me teach on food, knowing that it is a current battle that I'm in. But I truly feel free in the spirit and healed of a damaged relationship because of what God has done in me and what Jesus has done on the cross. So I want to finish going back to that passage in Isaiah. It says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me and hear you that your soul may live. Come to Jesus, the satisfier of our soul and body, and let him fill you. You know, they say not to go grocery shopping hungry because you fill your cart full of junk you don't need. Yet we pursue a life empty and hungry, longing for satisfaction. But what if instead of pursuing the vices like food of the world, we pursued a relationship with our Father and we allowed the Spirit to fill us anew each and every day so that we don't navigate this life empty, but full on Christ. That will replace filling our life cart with junk we don't need, junk that will ultimately destroy us because we're full on God, because we have dived in, we have dove in, and we have tasted and we've seen, and blessed is the one who takes takes refuge in him. It's being full of God and spirit that allows us to navigate a healthy relationship with food and any other pleasure that's of, of this earth that God has given us as a good gift. Be filled with the spirit. Navigate each and every day fully satisfied in Christ and the temptations of this world will pale in, consider, in comparison and they will fall short. I want to end with Psalm 34, 8. (laughs) Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray.